A cluster of um, questions here to seem to have a theme in them. So one is concerning the how the wholesome, unwholesome relates to us in our day-to-day lives. Does it mainly relate to keeping the five precepts? Wholesome, unwholesome in daily life. One is, um, is it always the five hindrances that get in the way of us having a clear mind? I suppose this goes wider than meditation. The hindrances can beset us in our daily life and affect our judgments. Any thoughts on battling the hindrances? Another one, could you say something about the skillful ways of using angry energy in meditation? So, here we're looking at the nature of good and evil, or skillful, unskillful, which is the one way of looking at it. Another is bright and dark. And uh, in general, I get the sense, you know, what is the way to encourage the wholesome, and is eliminate or clear or rise above the unwholesome. And also, when we experience something like angry energy that we feel, you know, well, this is such good stuff to be throwing around the room, um, can I make use of this? Can I use it? Or what do I do with that? As we recognize, you know, that uh, these energies are quite powerful. So the skillful and the unskillful, good and good, good and bad. And it's uh, interesting to note this was the the real uh, understanding of this occurred to the Buddha or the Bodhisattva as the second great knowledge, that is, night of awakening. You know, so it's quite, uh, so it's considered, you know, really a great realization to know good and bad, which we may not think is such a great realization. But it means actually more than just what's socially approved of or disapproved of or we get punished for or, or praised for. It's a recognition that the, these energies have def- are definitely have effects, cause and effects. This is where karma comes into it. So that uh, um, you know, some energies just have, uh, if they if they're followed, take us to a place which is miserable, dark, contracted. We're not in our prime state, and others take us into a place where we are in a more prime, open, or useful state, skillful, unskillful. Mm-hmm. So they're not just uh, kind of moralizing, but they they actually do have this power. To them, and they do lead on to to um, fortunate or unfortunate um, states of being, where fortunate states of being have greater potential, greater possibilities um, to 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 free ourselves, to be happy, to be clear, to do good for others. Unskillful states, we have less and less opportunities for that. Skillful, unskillful. So. 
you know, obviously the five precepts are, are a good standard for, in terms of our behavior, external behavior. You know. And they're mostly about what we refrain from doing as, a, as, as like fence po- as fencing around our behavior. Uh, but of course, uh, the five precepts alone uh, are not sufficient for awakening. You know, I mean, and so you also have to really look into the, the meaning of the five precepts. What are we trying to encourage? So not just what we're we trying to refrain from. What are we trying to encourage um, in terms of uh, uh, harmlessness, in terms of honesty, truthfulness, non-covetousness, in terms of restraint, sense restraint, how we use our bodies, how we use sexuality in terms of how we use the energy of speech and in terms of keeping the mind clear of toxicants. And uh, so and in this retreat, we're also the renunciation, which is learning to abstain, not from things that are morally unwholesome, but just to develop the sense of abstinence, restraining the mind from its uh, senses where we can just kind of um, lose ourselves in sleep oral gratification or beautification entertainments where we tend to just, you know, we can uh, lose ourselves. We can just kind of blot out in them. We can distract ourselves with them. So the renunciation is a kind of a taking away some of the cushioning, some of the padding where we we kind of um, tend to just kind of loll a bit <laughs> or go on the wrong path. Yeah. And so if we, if we really get these principles in mind and understand what supports these in a positive way, then we do have a, a very good way of understanding how we can clear the mind of the five hindrances. The five hindrances are the, are the, 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 uh, the, the kind of suffering that we experience. Because more clear in meditation. In meditation, you're, the karma is pretty instant. And you're also receiving the results of actions, contexts that one hasn't been very clear about. You know, so in meditation, all this tends to come up. And, uh, and so the five hindrances, so just to remind us, this is ill will, um, greed or covetousness, sense, desire and covetousness, um, dullness or lethargy, a kind of not just feeling tired, but actually having a mind that doesn't want to bother kind of lassitude. It's not just physical fatigue, it's a a mind, oh bother, give up, you know, wants to veg out. <laughs> doesn't want doesn't want to wake up. Uh, so this is not the same as 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 tiredness. And then uh, restlessness, you can't rest worry and flurry is another way of looking at it. Man's kind of fretting this. Never really gets into anything. It's like a terrier chewing a rat you know so chewing doesn't really swallow it doesn't spit it out just kind of worries and frets and well maybe this and you know, so it's like that you know and then or doubt or wavering and havering so this is not just uh don't you know forgotten something don't know somebody's name but it means the indecisive like can't create clear you know this or it could be on the other hand that but maybe this and maybe that so we're wavering, hey, we don't really enter fully. 
So we may have this in terms of, of meditation. Should I do this? Is this this the rhythm? That, that, you know, is it this, 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 that system? So not really check it out, find out. You know. So these are the things that, that... And these are not just results of, of breaking precepts. But these are results of the, the, the wholesome not... It's not the, the wholesome not being fully strengthened. Yeah. And, you know, so there's, if you like, the precepts of what we refrain from, but you look into, you know, what we're trying to develop. And uh, so characteristically, you know, classically, you know, the, the, the different ways you can deal with the hindrances. One is just by wise consideration. Hey, you know, this isn't worth getting upset about or this isn't, uh, this isn't worthy of me. This kind of obsession. And that that can deal with hindrances when they're fairly weak, you know. But often hindrances have got a little more push than that. They're not exactly rational decisions. So you know, you say, "Shouldn't be greedy," but it goes, "Well, I'm going to be greedy anyway." You know, it pushes in. It's a kind of irrational impulse. So you have to have a little more st- um, strength and energy to to work against it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes considering the unattractive nature of what one's attracted to. So, um, in terms of immaterial things, you know, gadgets, cars, clothes, flash stuff, you recognize, well, it's just um, in five years' time, it's going to be an old bit of old tat that you want to get rid of. <laughs> so, it helps to take some of the sheen away from it. You know, whack a dent in it, and it doesn't look so good. Um, pour some tomato ketchup down the, the dress, it doesn't look so interesting anymore. So, you know, you just kind of recognize the, 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 the apparent glamorous nature of, of immaterial objects is, is very um, transitory. Once you've got it, it becomes kind of old hat, really. So, and then we kind of c- contemplate that, that, that sheen that we see advertised everywhere. The, the, the sheen, the, the gleam, the glamour that you see in advertisements where somebody's, you know, lifting up a glass of Johnny Walker and it looks really, really nice situation. It's kind of flickering fire and it's some beautiful house. There's a handsome man, attractive woman, well-dressed, you know, sipping a glass of Johnny Walker. It's a really sophisticated. But then the reality of it, you know, is you get some old boozy old drunk <laughs> knocking back a bottle of Johnny Walker. <laughs> kind of having an argument, fighting into a fight and throwing up. <laughs> it's, it's more the reality of it. <laughs> so you want to kind of cut through this, this advertising gleam, you know, because booze is disgusting stuff, you know, ruining your liver. And then often people throw up, get violent, belligerent, beat people up. I mean, crime, most crime is related to booze. And yet you can see this stuff as being advertised as sophisticated and you know, with wonderful citrus overtones or, you know, after. <laughs> As always, nice-looking people advertise. They're never kind of, you know, bleary-eyed, paunchy people. <laughs> They're always really well-toned, well-good bodies. They don't even actually exist, you know. They, they get the model and they start touching it up. See, people don't actually exist. 
And you think, oh, wow, somehow or another this message comes through. So you've got to really cut through that. So it requires wise reflection to see just how, what a load of lies it all is. <laughs> and it has this haunting sense of, of we could be we could be happy, we could be cool, we could be calm, we could be collected, you know, we could be sophisticated. You know. And then really, what do you really need? You know? Where do your needs get met? Where does that sense of wanting to feel good, wanting to be gratified, does that really get met? And, uh, you know, it's not to say there is no happiness in, in the sense world, but it tends to be rather transitory, and once you've developed meditation, you can find that you get a greater, greater hit. Even if you're paunchy, you're still bleary-eyed, you still feel pretty good <laughs> internally. That, and that's what counts. <laughs> so certainly um, this helps. Mm-hmm. You know. Ill will, we recognize the, the poisonous nature of having ill will. So when, you know, uh, oh, actually, just to continue on that sense of the the greed, immaterial things like that, then material, like, um, um, you know, attraction, sexual attraction, uh, then with that you start to consider the nature of the body and, uh, you know, you take a bit of skin off and it doesn't look so good. Um, so uh, the body only looks attractive in certain, under certain light. <laughs> you know, you've got to kind of really get the right, right, right effects to make it that attractive. Um, so if you start to review the unattractive elements of it, or things not, not necessarily disgusting, but just not really interesting, like inside of people's ear holes or something, it's not, it doesn't turn you on. Somebody's nostrils, you know, it's all right, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all, it's all there, isn't it? You get the whole, the whole pack. You don't just get some kind of glamorous shape. You get the whole, the whole kit as a whole thing. It's not particularly interesting. So you've got to really highlight certain, you know, shape or skin texture or, textures of some kind or another to make it feel good look good but then we do have the sexual energy and and one of the things that we can cultivate in meditation is uh, is to to transmute that because this sexual energy can make just about anything seem attractive particularly if you live live a celibate life after a while most anything (laughs) starts to look attractive (laughs) Nothing like a bit of abstinence to whet the appetite, as it were. <laughs> so, but then this this uh, sexual energy, you know, is something that, that working on that, you know, which is, well, generally we definitely develop a lot of restraint and boundaries around what we put our attention into. But then the vitality factor, again, with summer to meditation, with 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 steadying with Anapanasati, you're dealing with the primary life force energy, you know. So instead of it coming into sexual channels, you just spread it through the whole body and you get the same 
you get a kind of slow warming. You know, sexual energy has got a kind of fire to it, burning, but it burns up and it burns out. When you actually have uh, energy in meditation, it tends to have a slower warming, steady, and the experience of joy and ease with it. So that's definitely a remedy. And also we start to contemplate other people more from a mind of, of benevolence, so that in us, which, which is to reach out and relate to other people, has to be cultivated. Um, so that instead of going through the sexual channel, you go more through the heart channel. And then, the, you, know, then you can include a lot more people you know, than you can with sexual energy. Sexual energy is just you know, really one person at a time is about all you can manage. And sometimes not even that. But with the, the heart energy, you can manage hundreds of people. And it's a very lovely experience. So, we, you know, Brahmacharya, I mean, the celibate life requires the Brahma Vihara, in the sense of this feeling, the sense of satisfaction and, and, and uh, uh, relational satisfaction through, through loving kindness and compassion and enjoying other people for what they are and equanimity. So, it's a way we, we start to you know, transmute an energy. Mm. This helps when you do have anger, you know, now, when you have an angry energy, then the, you know, one thing we can try to do is just kind of, well, stop being that way. And, yeah, you know, that's terms of action. We try to avoid or, or restrain ourselves from acting in terms of anger. But then, you know, the very fe- the very quality of it you know, feeling lessened or hurt or put down or whatever, and you it's kind of build up frustration. Sometimes you're angry with yourself. Um, then, you know, there's a tremendous power in that. And again, it's something we learn to, to, to use to give ourselves a sense of firmness, stability. So you, you turn it around. Just as you turn sexual energy into, into loving kindness, then you turn angry energy into firmness. You can't really get rid of energy. You, you know, it's not an amputation job, but you can, you can transfer it and you can transmute it. That's that's the point. These energies are quite natural. There's no point kind of being all, you know, namby pamby about it. We we definitely have the possibility of getting riled up. You know, most everything does. And it's a defense system, isn't it? You know, you gather all your power as a defense. The point is with that often we're doing that when it's actually not conducive, it's not useful. Uh, or we're, we're transforming, we're also adding aversion to it. Uh, so you notice something like, you know, in the case of the Buddha, again, it's a good example. Often you see some of these times when the monks were misbehaving and he'd give him a rollicking. But, it, you know, it wasn't anger so much as a really firm, clear, like, look, listen up, this is what I'm teaching, what are you doing? <laughs> Have I not told you many times, this is this and this is that, and where do you think that's going, you know? And, you know, you're living on alms food, you're taking it for the faith of the laity, you know, what do you think this is going to do to you, 
you know, really very firm and one-pointed and, uh, and it's sort of like a transmutation of that sense of outrage we can get when people are foolish or abusive, you know. So it's not saying, oh, well, you know, be with that. And <laughs> There's definitely a sense of no, but it's not, it's not destructive. It's not blowing your top and it's not blowing, you know, destroying other people. It's a firm statement of this is unskillful. I do not condone this. I don't participate in this. And even do you see this look, you know, so that that's the transmutation because there's no ill will in it. In fact, you could say it's it's a you know compassionate. Your kid is running across the road. It's not time to say, well, you know, be with that. It's time to say, get hold of the kid and drag him out of the road. <laughs> you know, there's a certain sense of firmness and and uh, and one pointedness is needed. You know, so we have to learn to use this kind of firming up energy without ill will but for our welfare and for the the maintenance of what's good it's like you know so often in these um, you know when you look in some um, Chinese or Tibetan temples you have the angry gods or the, the, the world guardians who've got swords and bows and arrows they're sitting on dragons and look mean looking customers you know and then the four world guardians, or sometimes you have these angry deities, what are called angry deities, and they're to tell evil forces, look, push off, guys, you know, this is our place. <laughs> and it's kind of crude and simplistic. And yet there's a meaning there. You know, we have to say, look, be firm with yourself. Stop fooling around. There's enough of that. Enough, you know, and put up the, the big no. And that's how you use what you could call angry energy in a non-angry way, in a non-hostile way. You transmute it. You, you use its energy skillfully. Mm-hmm. So this requires, you know, wisdom, discernment, and, uh, and a way of handling one's, one's energies towards the skillful so that you know energy itself is neither in itself skillful or unskillful but it's the way where it goes you know you could say that we all have a basic life force energy and sometimes it's it's strong it's powerful if you're younger it's a lot more juice in it you're older it tends to quiet down eventually you know it fades out so we have this it's not good it's not bad it's that now it can be sent into skillful or unskillful channels. That's the point. It's not to be, you know, have a thing about having energy or having strength or having vigor, or, or but actually just where is it going? So we have to really use wise reflection, crown uh, ourselves in the body, um, develop the heart to to handle this this stuff that we this uh, primary juice, you might say. This is where, of course, lassitude or lethargy is a real killer because, you know, we we sort of find ourselves losing interest in that or or just not, not... meeting 
not uh, bringing ourselves into 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 presence. Lassitude, lethargy. We don't really. We go into automatic. I was just saying the other day. You know, one one of the things the mind will tend to do is make things into into habitual, automatic. It tends towards the the easy. Yeah. The one we have to put least attention into. And you want to guard against that because that's that's the road that goes towards uh, dullness and lethargy. Yeah. So just waking up, seeing specific, present, you know, it's like you're always on on a spring, you're always on the on the ball. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness, attention, and if you are, so when you feel sleepy or bored, that's the time to put a, put you know energy into places or into walking up and down or standing or posture, or even exploring the very feeling of of uh, fatigue, how it affects your eyes or your skin, and so you use the you use a very full energy, full attitude towards these these low energy states, yeah. and you use create systems that will uh, um, support that. So you know stories of monks sitting on the edge of wells and things like that. So if you fall asleep, you basically fall down the well. It keeps you awake, uh, <laughs> but. Perhaps more subtly than that. Yeah. So can we retain the whole body image? Generally, uh, uh, dullness and sleepiness tends to mean your mind tends to contract. And awareness tends to shut down into either a little thought form, a little dream of some kind. And it's very much, very much programmed to do that, to go to some... You don't require any effort, really. Thoughts, just dreams just start rolling out. So to come back to the actuality of physical presence is is the basic um, foundation for clearing the mind of of, of lethargy. It's a foundation. If you develop that, then the, the, the sense of stability and rapture and ease that occur through that really uh, tone you up. So when your energy is low, you can, by entering, coming into bodily presence patiently with your eyes open following the breath you can you can regenerate restlessness worry and flurry is to um, take a specific thing and inquire into it so it's sort of moving around. It's not really getting hold of anything firm. You try to take one thing and just inquire into it, penetrate into it. So you give the mind something to, to really get uh, go into. And then that naturally has a calming effect. Now you can't, you know, if we just think of becoming calm, then when you're restless, it's very difficult to do so. So you have to have, uh, or, or it becomes more like an anesthetic a tranquilizer, you dull out. But the the meditation, you know, the one basic principle is to get something and to get specifically clear about what's happening. So really holding on to an object helps in terms of restlessness and dullness. 
two sides of the same thing. Restlessness is an over uh, too much energy or energy, you know, scattering, and dullness is is a hypo, means under under stimulated, under energized. They're both, <clears throat> and then wavering and havering, um, doubt. This is something we um, practice with, with uh, say letting the mind. It was coming out of thought. So thought will always take you to to doubt eventually. Is it this? Is it that? It's coming out of that. Now, is you know, this is these are kind of pretty standard instructions for meditation, but. And the ongoing cultivation is a daily life. One of the most helpful um, systems are uh, as the ten paramita. You know, to have that in mind on that crowded fridge door, uh, ten paramita. <laughs> so these are generosity, morality, virtue, renunciation. Wisdom, discernment, energy, truthfulness, no, wisdom, energy, patience, discernment, resolution, kindness, equanimity. So it could be quite a crowded door. It would be quite, you know, uh, there's quite a lot to talk about there, actually. Mm. But you can sense just in the flow of that, like just having things that you bear in mind, like generosity, having that one. So you look for the opportunities. You have something, you carry with you something, small things, you know, that you can give to somebody, you know. Opportunity to give, opportunity to give service. Um, So keeping that that sense of the 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 heart chakra, the generosity factor open, Um, and experiencing the the quality of of um, happiness that comes with that. The first two, generosity and morality, both hinge around a very uh, important shift which is to what I call the we sense and this of course also involves loving kindness mm. now when we practice uh, morality to really do it not for a matter of punishment or um, reward but for for sanity we get the sense of another person's you, you kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes. I wouldn't want to be violated myself. Therefore, I don't do it to somebody else. I wouldn't like some. I wouldn't like to be lied to, so I don't do it to somebody else. I wouldn't like to be abused. Therefore, I don't do it to somebody else. So you get that sense of to others as to myself. Um, and this begin, establishes the, the we sense. We always we recognise that we're always in some sense of. There's other people around 
physically or in our consciousness and uh, we want to be part of that generosity sharing as just basic health very much emphasized in Buddhist countries and the whole sense of offering alms and uh, is such a such a standard but it's not purely that I was reading uh, many tribal societies are, are based have this as a basis I was reading a story of some tribes in Africa whereby the whole way they operated was if somebody needed something this, this um, slogan like a poor person is a disgrace to us all. So if somebody's poor, then it is my duty to share with them. You know, it's a shame, shameful for me if I don't do that. There's a real sense of that. And uh, if somebody comes, uh, you know, who's, who's destitute, then you kind of have to give them something. Otherwise, you feel a loss, a sense of shame and disgrace. And... Um, they, they, this field worker who was working with these people was saying, well, you know, so um, why, why, do you, you know, why did you give that person your camel? You know, you could have had it for yourself and, and this, that, and the other. And, and, because there was a, a drought and this one guy lost his camel, so this person had two and he gave him one. So, you know, you've reduced your property by half. And he said, you know, well, I have to give. He said, well, why? What, what happens if you don't give? And he looked at him with absolute shock. He said, if I wasn't generous, I'd die alone under a tree. <laughs> you know. That's the only way he could only describe it in that way. Like the terror, the absolute bleak despair of seeing yourself as an isolated individual. Yeah. I was reading, uh, uh, some years ago, I was reading kind of a little newspaper article caught my eye. It was about a woman who lived in London and her job was to go to the funerals of people who had no one to mourn them, people who died alone. So there were thousands a year of people who had nobody even knew their names or cared about them. Yeah. And so these African people, that's an indescribable hell. You can't imagine how bleak that is. And yet we, we, we allow that. I think uh, Jeanette Vinando was telling you about this story of these uh, uh, Polynesian people who, who were, <laughs> I think it was a, a BBC program who who had this idea that Prince Philip was was their god. Just <laughs> <Which is laughs> interesting notion. So uh, some other uh, people heard about this. So they thought they'd bring him, bring these people over to Britain, you know, and, and they're people of you know tribal people in Polynesia, and so they thought, well, bring them to Britain and see what they do. And most things they could get used to, like dancing. They could, they knew what dancing was about. They could do that, and they could, they could, you know, somehow manage. But the thing they really couldn't handle was people, you know, homeless people. Said, How can you let people be homeless? Why don't you take them into your house? 
How can you do that? You know, how do you let other human beings be homeless and helpless? This kind of broke their hearts, and yet, you know, the we sense, you know, which uh, many of these people have as a, as a fundamental experience of being alive. It's not I'm a me, I'm, I'm part of a we. That's the fundamental, what it is to be alive, is to be part of something. You know? And uh, generosity and morality are simple, um, you know, obvious expressions that come from that. And how, you know, that can be lost with this contracted sense of myself on my own, you know, getting my things, not trusting other people, and they don't trust me, and, you know, and, uh, you know, dying alone or living alone. Not just physically alone, but in the sense of there's no one else there, I don't really matter. And what a death of the spirit that is. So these are, it's a long way story, but I think it, it gives you some you know, sense of that which is to be cultivated. You know, use it as an everyday cultivation. Hmm. Doesn't mean that we have to know everybody, get involved with it, but at least to be, you know, recognizing and how we value and respect and cherish the welfare of other beings and enjoy it. You actually get some enjoyment, some sense of, of how, how grounding it is to just have honesty and simple decency and respect for each other. How, how much that helps us to place ourselves here. And without that, you know, where are we going? Where are we going? going out onto the internet, going out onto the virtual realities. <laughs> Nobody's here anymore. <laughs> One of the big uh, parameter, renunciation, which uh, takes a little, can be developed to, to um, this degree where it's about it's more psychological renunciation as well as the sense you're which is more like restraint, but also there's a sense of, of uh, a, a renunciation or, or letting go and a giving up of um, selfishness, you know, in simple terms, self-structures. Big parameter to develop is patience, forbearance, which means we, we take hold of the time sense we grab the time sense and we, you know, we level it out. And it's not just, I'll hang on until, I'll bear with it until. It's like supreme patience is, there's no limit. Yeah. And that brings around equanimity. Because to be equanimous, it means you're, you're present, but you're not going into the winning, losing, ups and downs. So you want to be more equanimous, which is perhaps the most difficult thing for us to imagine, be more patient. 
then you'd be more patient. You can feel the movements of of winning and losing and things going wrong and things seeming fine and just mm-hmm. bear with it, bear with it. Meditation, a lot of it is about patience, about valuing it. Valuing it as something that gives you emotional uh, stability. Without patience, we tend to just react, zip around. So patience is the entry to that sense of where's the stable place now? Patient with yourself. Patient with the moods and feelings that one has. Patience is the way out of the, the, that, that pulling, pushing current. It takes us to the stable place. Patience is the, what the Buddha is said to have perfected at the root of the Bodhi tree. One of our chants is, uh, this is, you know, the Buddha defeated Mara by patience. Mara is the force of, you know, temptation and cowardice and boredom and craving and passion and all these things and just being there, mm-hmm. being patient, <laughs> all this stuff kind of raging away. And uh, that there's something when you really determine that, there's something, the energy of the mind starts to gather into that sense of the patient, stable and the, the colors and the vigor of these conflicting energies start to, to die down. So patience is a very valuable parameter to develop. These are daily life things, aren't they? Driving to work, getting in the traffic jam. Ah, got patience written on your windscreen. You know, raising your children, you've got to have patience. You print it on your eyeballs. <laughs> it was the big teaching of, of Ajahn Chah was, was patience. So you're testing circumstances. Just to back into the edge of what you can bear. And then just a little bit more patience. And something you starts to give, you know, this the the tightness of the heart starts to give and give and give. So once you're really patient you can you can bear with it all. Mm-hmm. Resolution or commitment is important. Loving kindness is important. Mm-hmm. So when you get a, the sense of these values, uh, then living your life according to particular Values. It's like almost like another set of precepts, and these, in fact, were associated with with uh, uh, development in Buddhism towards the you know, bodhisattva. He is the one who perfects these. Is a path. Is a perfecting these parameter. Now, whatever you want to make of that, yeah, you know, it's a recognition that this is actually a way to to train yourself to the great the great heart. So instead of you don't do this, you don't do that, you look towards what can I do? How can I make more of this? How can I do this?
Monastic life is very good for patience. It's an absolute requirement because it's not, you know, has its interesting moments which are about an hour. <laughs> and then it starts to get, you know, you go through various things, but uh, the routines, the set, the sameness of it, they're always waiting. You know, you wait for the meal, wait in line, wait for the senior monk, wait for people to turn up, wait for the people to offer the food. You can't just get it, you know. And something you, you see the fridge, God damn, why is it so difficult just to eat something, you know. There's the fridge, just get in there and eat it. <laughs> well, I have to go through this whole protocol thing <laughs> just to eat, something to eat. Because we're developing patience. <laughs> So you might even think of ways you want to, you know, put structures in your life that actually ask you to do that. Stops, you know, like like um, um, energy stops. So I used to have a thing before I'd eat. I as I got the food. And then visualize, you know, say my teacher, my mother, my father, and actually share the goodness of having received something with them. So, you know, you slow it right down at that place where you kind of want to get in there and get going. You put something in there that stops you doing it. <laughs> and then just, you know, think, why? Why do you frustrate yourself? Because I want to develop patience. You know? Wearing a robe, you're going to put the thing on, you can't just zip it up and jump out. Patience. And it's an important thing to develop because most everything in, li- in the modern life is saying, don't be patient. I think there's even you know, advertising slogans saying something like that. It's fast, quick. Don't have to wait a minute, don't have to wait a second, instant, faster, quicker. And so what is the result of that? He will get demanding, impatient, to wait five minutes to blow up with anger. You know, no no inner strength and stability. So it's an important one to to keep going with. Patient with yourself. How long is it going to take before I really get it? doesn't matter how long it takes. It's the purity of the process and what you can develop in, in that purity and integrity of practice. It takes 20 years to get a, you know, a mindful inhalation. Fine, doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, as long as you stay conscious with that, Because these are things that really are going to stand you in good stead when life is tough. Not a mindful inhalation, but the ability to be patient with life. With the frustrating and the unresolved and things not working out, the painful and the difficult. It's patience, equanimity, you know, 
generosity, these are the things that are really going to keep the energy from going sour, keep your mind from turning into bitterness, resentment, guilt, anxiety. They're going to support the kusala, the wholesome. And they are wholesome in your intention. You know, you just think, is generosity, is that skillful or not? Yes, it is. Is patience, is that skillful or not? Yes, it is. Yeah. So it's, it's skillful in the beginning. You know, you, once you name these things, you say, yeah, that is good. That is the right. That is right. Yeah, I respect that. And then pay, trying to practice it because we get it to you a little more patient. And then the, the development of it, the beautiful result of a mind that's not impatient, narrow, that is grounded. I mean, so this is a, these are really important things to cultivate the skillful because in our daily life we're not going to be in states of great calm or meditation or states where we've nice, got nice boundaries around us and nobody's bothering me. We're going to be out there. So you've got to make, uh, uh, in this time, really get the sense of these and make this determination. These are things that are going to take you across the floods rather so you don't get capsized by life. And then the more you develop that in your daily life, the less and less these hindrances occur. So it's not just you deal with the hindrances in your meditation. You deal with the hindrances by developing, strengthening the wholesome through, through daily life. And that means you find that you know, when you meditate, you experience results of having developed uh, honesty and so forth. Okay, so let's um, thank you for those questions. I hope it's been something useful there. And uh, let's have a leg stretch and then do some.